0: There is a sin problem where we've done certain acts of sin. I feel guilt weighing me down and realize that I'm guilty before God for the things that I've done. But there's also sin in our disposition. There's a fountain inside that I'm not guilty of, but it needs cleansing. Good morning and welcome to God's resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I wanna thank you for tuning into God's Resistance where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 AM and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com, on Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance, spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You'll find us in person every uh, Sunday at noon. However, I believe that that is going to be put on hold uh, for a while now throughout the winter months, Um, and we'll let you know further when we know. Um, You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Last time we had talked about holiness and human sin as it relates to things that I've done, uh, acts that I've committed, uh, whether it be something that I shouldn't have done and done it anyways, or something that I should have done and left undone. It's something, some act of my will that, well, it's an action. (laughs) But there's also another problem. The other problem is, is that there is a fountain from where all this came from. The Bible teaches um, sin as an act and then indwelling sin. Really, if you look at Romans chapter 7, not only does it use the sin that dwelleth in me as a phrase, but it uses many other things to denote um, sin dwelling within us. There's there's a principle of sin, not just an action. So when we're what we go through here at this time, uh, we want to carefully distinguish our acts of sin We want to carefully distinguish that from mistakes, which has to do with our head and not necessarily our heart, infirmities, which is weaknesses that you and I may not have any control over, and errors in our judgment because we don't know everything. We want to distinguish between all those things and literal acts of sin. That's going to help us to understand what God is after in the scripture. Um, And then we're going to answer the question, do we really believe this definition of sin because it's Wesleyan, Uh, full disclosure? I am a Wesleyan Arminian holiness uh, preacher. That is that is my doctrinal foundation or underpinning. That doesn't mean that every single thing that that one of them would say, I believe, but I lean more in that direction. But And then we're going to be looking at sin as a principle or sin inside of our human nature and that sin entering in because of the fall and corruption that spread throughout all human humankind and as a resulting depravity from it. So I just want to jump right in here. As we're going through some of this, again, I just want to mention that um, the outline of this is taken from Be Ye Holy, written by Leslie Wilcox. I would recommend anybody to get that book. And um, let's just dive right in. Acts of sin are to be carefully distinguished from mistakes, infirmities, and errors in judgment. If you want to learn a little bit more about this, I I did another series uh, called The Road of Salvation. You can find that on the YouTube channel. You can go back into into any of the podcasts from your favorite podcasting platform and go back into the beginning. You will find one that says, uh, the title is called What is Sin? And I deal with some of these same things in there and maybe uh, a little bit different scriptures and a different angle at some things that may help you better to understand where I'm coming from, where the Bible is teaching and and looking at different verses. But acts of sin are to be carefully distinguished from mistakes, infirmities, and errors in judgment. Uh, If we don't, then we have false definitions of sin. And if we conflate everything with sin, then we have a really hard time knowing what God is asking of us or whether or not we've we've even received what God said he wanted to give us. Now, I'm not taking this as a poke to people as individuals because I do believe a lot of uh, people that are part of the Calvinistic system uh, of theological, well, belief, I believe that their practice is far higher than what their doctrine is teaching, and I don't believe that um, all are basically looking for an excuse to sin— but I think that when we don't carefully distinguish between mistakes, infirmities, and errors in judgment, and we, we distinguish between those and sin that separates us from God, we have such a mess to deal with, and then confusion ensues throughout the Scripture. Calvinism um, basically defines sin as any deviance from absolute perfection of God. Now, you and I know that God is perfect in every single attribute. There's not one flaw, there's no problems, there's no nothing. The problem is though, that when we look inside of the scripture, we we see that God, he called men perfect, but then he also says that we're to be perfect. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount, be ye perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. So there is something, there's a perfection that God wants us to have, but it's not any deviance from absolute perfection because that only belongs to God, absolute perfection that is. So the their conclusion because of this at large is that any error or mistake is sin. With that being said, the motive or the intention of the person who did this act, who performed this deed, isn't taken into consideration at all. So let me give you some examples of mistakes so that you understand what I'm saying, and then we can kind of pull some of this out of the Scripture as well to see that God makes a distinction. So someone, let's say someone makes a statement that they believe is correct. At the moment that they make the statement, they believe they've got Whatever facts they needed to, they they, with their whole heart, they believe that they're making a correct statement. They have no intention to deceive anybody. But later they discover that the statement that they had previously made was incorrect. Let me ask you the question, listener. Was their motive contrary to truth and righteousness? They did they believe what they're saying was true. They had no intention to deceive, and later found out that what the statement they made was wrong. Was their motive contrary to truth and righteousness? Was there a desire to deceive when they had told that statement they believed was true? So then, what if that if they weren't then with an intent to deceive, what then was the cause of their error in judgment? Was it their heart or was it their mind? I think if we look at it just point blank, it's, it doesn't make sense that it would be in their heart because their heart was that they intended to tell the truth and found out later they didn't. So that would leave us with there was a problem with their mind. How about, what about somebody, so, so we've got that, so they have an error in judgment because maybe they didn't have all the facts, okay? Now let's look at it this way. What about somebody who knowingly said something that is untrue? Are they guilty of sin? Yes. Now we have something different. It's not just the head. Now there is a motive, and intention behind this. They were intending to deceive. So a faulty definition of sin would judge both of these people to have sinned. And I think that any fair thinking person would look at that and say, those two things are qualitatively different. The quality of of each of those things is more easily judged. One is, oh, they made a mistake. They didn't know everything. The other one is they intended to do wrong. God, the problem that God has with us as humans, as far as a broken relationship with him, a severed relationship, and then the loss of the Spirit of God in our lives has to do with intentional, willful sin, transgression. That's what severs our walk. So the faulty definition of sin, not judging um, a, a distinguishing line between these two people, ends up bringing lots of confusion. And the results of a faulty definition of sin are many, and here's some. Because of a faulty definition of sin, I may then believe, which many do, that it's impossible to live above sin. That ha- that, that makes two different things happen here. I remember reading, it was uh, John Fletcher's Checks to Antinomianism. He said that that with that definition or with that thought or belief because of your definition of sin that it's impossible to live above sin, you have two classes of people. One class says, I'm in this sinful body. There's nothing I can do about it. So they continue to sin away their lives and think that somehow Jesus is just gonna cover that and they can keep living wickedly. The other person is in horror of that kind of a life and hates that. So what happens to them is their conscience isn't poorly trained and they believe they're sinning in thought, word and deed every day of their life, even if they're just committing a mistake in judgment because they didn't have all the information and they live the most miserable life with zero confidence in God and are very ineffective in their witness for God because they can't seem to get that clear and they live a life full of despair. That, those are two awful outcomes of a faulty definition of sin. It's, if you say, think it's impossible to live above sin, then this is the, the kind of statement you would hear in present day, that we sin in thought, word, and deed every day of our life. If that's the case, and we sin in thought, word, and deed every day of our life, what happens then when we get saved? What happens when we're born again? What happens when we're made a new creature? When somebody thinks, well, I'm made a new creature, but I'm not new? That's, that's a problem we need to deal with. And if that is the case, then holiness is therefore impossible and all the the preachers across our land that are trying to tell us we need to live a holy life, and there's not many, but there are some, anyone that says that we're to live a holy life is basically, it's a joke. Live holy. By the way, you can't. You're going to sin in thought, word, and deed every day of your life, but you need to live holy. That doesn't make any sense, right? And that's essentially what's happening if we don't make a clear distinction. The Bible makes a distinction. The faulty definition of sin also destroys the basic foundations of all moral action. Since it cannot distinguish between things that differ, how can you even judge what is right and what is wrong if everything's sin? If it's all sin, how do I know what I need to repent of and what I just need to say, Lord, please help me to remember this or please teach me because I'm ignorant. How do I know the difference? And if that's the case, it muddies the water with moral action because then I'm calling something that is not an intentional sin, but something because I didn't have all the information in my head, I didn't do something absolutely correct. Now I'm calling that sin and I lump that together with the, with the other thing and I can't, I can't even see clearly where the judgment of God would be coming on an action in my life, let alone myself judging what's right or wrong. Scripture testifies, however, to the contrary. If you look in 1 John, chapter three, verses eight and nine, we read, he that committeth sin is of the devil. So if we stop there for a second, if if we if you lump everything together as sin and we sin in thought word and deed every day of our life, then he that committeth sin is of the devil, then that means a Christian's of the devil if we can't stop sinning. You see how this logic makes everything fall apart. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, so here's why Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, not to leave them happening in our lives. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That's pretty clear, right? Why? For his seed, that is Christ, remaineth in him, the believer, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. Well, what about all the the promises of deliverance from sin in addition to that very clear statement? Let's look at a biblical definition of sin. Now, in Wesleyan theology, you will find this definition floating around, and I believe that this definition encompasses all the various parts of sin, mistakes, errors, and judgments, all of that, and gives us a clear picture. So, though the statement that I'm about to make, you may not find Scripture in verse that says this, you can synthesize many parts of the Scripture to pull this definition together. And what this biblical definition of sin is, is a willful transgression of a known law of God. So I have to know that something is wrong, and then I have to act contrary to the thing that I know. So the essence of true sin that separates us from God is a willfulness. Wesley said, nothing is sin, strictly speaking, but a voluntary transgression of a known law of God. Therefore. Every voluntary breach of the law of love is sin and nothing else if we speak properly. There were other Methodist writers that said something similar. One is a theologian, William Burt Pope. He said, the voluntary separation of the soul or self from God. Another writer, Daniel Steele, sin is a willful collision of a finite will, that's us, with the highest authority in the universe. Notice willful is in each one of these. Bishop Elijah Heading, he said, voluntarily committing known sin is what is commonly meant in the New Testament by committing sin. God looks upon the heart or motive and then evaluates sin by the relationship of the person to himself. So why did you do what, you, what you've done? God looks at that. So does a purposeful act and an unintentional act hold the same consequence to you? So I told you that this was the definition that I gave was from a Wesleyan um, Wesleyan people, but do I believe this or should we believe this definition of sin strictly because it's Wesleyan? Well, a catalog of sins condemned as they are done in defiance of God will help us to realize that this is not just a Wesleyan definition, but a scriptural definition. Let's look in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 32. Look at the quality of these that are listed and then try to tell me that there is no difference between that and somebody who has, doesn't have all the knowledge up here, thought they were telling the truth and later found out that it wasn't the full truth. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. There is a quality of wickedness. There's a quality of willful wrong in the list that we've just looked at. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 gives us the same picture. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Willful transgressions are taking place here. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness idolatry witchcraft hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresy envyings murders drunkenness revelings and such like of the which I tell you before as I have also told you in the time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of god notice that in these three sections of scriptures we just went through there uh, that there is no errors or mistakes listed in there all willful actions of rebellion against the laws of God, against morality. So the Bible treats sins and errors differently. Sins, we read, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Or in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let's look about mistakes and infirmities and how that's treated differently, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, it it says itself, it means himself, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So here we are told the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. Does he helpeth our sins? No, he condemns our sins and he cleanses our sins. He said unto me in 2 Corinthians twelve nine, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, where we are weak, the power of Christ is ours. Where we are sinning, we need to be confessing our sins, forsaking, repenting them, and we need cleansing. We don't need cleansing from mistakes. We need help. In our mistakes. And the Bible clearly distinguishes that as we're looking through here. The Bible definitions of sin involve the principle of an attitude of defiance of the restraints and standards of God. These definitions do not describe infirmities, weaknesses, etc which arise from the limitations of our mortal bodies and our intellects. Do you see that there is a vast difference in moral quality? We have got to get this inside of our minds. It helps the scriptures to be unlocked to us and it gives us a sanctified sanity to walk with God and not have endless questions about where where we are with God or where we stand. We can see what is wrong and then what is weakness and we can ask for cleansing and forgiveness for for the wrong and we can ask for help for the weaknesses and the errors in judgment. <clears throat> now, the knowledge of the law of God is definitely stated or supposed. Let's look at James four seventeen. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Remember I said, Wesley said, a willful transgression of a known law of God. Well, the willful part we've gone through. Now, here's the known part. Let's look at Romans fourteen twenty three. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat Because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Here we have knowledge coming into play. So a clear translation of sin is lawlessness. That is is what separates us from God, lawlessness. We look in 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So you would say, okay, if you say sin is lawlessness and we see that sin is the transgression of the laws we just read, define lawlessness. What is that? Lawlessness describes an attitude of defiance of God's authority over the soul and will naturally be shown in those areas where the person is aware of the limitations God has set and the regulations that he has laid down for our lives. So I can't I, I can't really be a lawless individual inside of my own being without knowing that there's a law and I'm breaking it. That doesn't mean that I can't necessarily be breaking the law in some way, shape or form beforehand, but for that, that quality of sin for the wrath of God to be happening upon us is there's some sort of a knowledge. Whether it's a great knowledge or whether it's the light of our conscience doesn't matter. It's when I'm sinning against the light of God's truth and law in my life in my life. So <clears throat> it is possible, according to the scriptures, to be holy in this life while still in a human body that is subject. To infirmities and mistakes. That's important because we have reams of books that tell us otherwise, and they flatly contradict the scripture. And I don't believe that that is a a always a uh, intentional thing that people are doing. It's just maybe because they feel like the human condition is so messed up from the fall that they can't seem to distinguish these two things and almost feel like it's playing games with God. Well, that was just a mistake. You know, some people will say, oh, that was just a mistake when God knows full well that it was a sin. It was something that was a willful problem in the heart. Um, So we can't say that it's without troubles. Uh, The Christian life and the Christian doctrines and teachings can all be twisted and turned for somebody that doesn't really want the truth. So it is possible to live holy and to be holy in this life while still in this human body because we're subject to infirmities and mistakes. So the conclusion is that sins and mistakes cannot be the same things or else God is a liar. God's standard is holiness while we're still in this human body. He says, be ye holy for I the Lord thy God am holy. He's not saying be ye holy when you get to heaven. He's saying, be holy now while you're on earth. Luke 1, 74, that he would grant us, that is God would grant us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness all the days of our lives. That's what God wants us to do in this body, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, Titus 2.12. That's where he wants us to be. So much study is needed on the acts of sin because there's so much confusion about that um, in our culture and in our, our evangelical world, according to the scripture. So we needed to really drill down on that. But now I want to move on to the part of sin as a principle, it's the principle of sin in our human nature. And there's, there's some Bible names for this and uh, for indwelling sin. One is the carnal mind, <clears throat> excuse me. I can't say that the carnal mind is always just this indwelling thing, but I think it most, most of the time, uh, from what I can think off the top of my head, it, the carnal mind encompasses not only the old life, but the problem within the heart as well. Here we read in, in Romans 8:7, because the carnal mind is enmity or hostile against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Another name for this principle of sin is the flesh. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, Romans 8.8. Now the works of flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, asciviousness, we read that before. And so there is a little bit of confusion over this term uh, of the flesh. Some people say, oh, it's just my flesh, and they're giving excuse for sin in their lives. What Paul is talking about is a corrupted humanity uh, when he's speaking about the flesh, and that can be cleansed and taken care of through the work of the Holy Ghost, Some people have made it that the human body is intrinsically evil, and so there's two meanings here. Flesh as body, when we see the word flesh in the scripture, flesh as the literal body, and then flesh as the principle of sin, and context. Context, context is going to help us to understand what that difference is. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. This obviously is talking about the principle of sin because if you're still alive, you have to be in the body. How can somebody not be in the flesh and yet still be alive? That was the question I was answering. Sin, when it is in its singular in number, is oftentimes speaking about the principle of sin. 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, Thus in was dead. You can look at that in the original Greek. It's thus in Romans 7, 8. It's also referred to as the old man. Lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds, that corrupted part of our, our being in heart. Or it's called the evil heart of unbelief. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, Hebrews three twelve. Iniquity it can be. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So this is that principle of sin. It's spoken of sometimes as unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, a state of being, 1 John 1.9. So the acts of sin spew forth from the principle of sin within. Matthew 15, 18 through 20, Jesus tells us. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. James 4, 1. From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? This is that indwelling sin. The disposition or nature of sin is inherited from Adam and is present in every human from birth. We read that in Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. In Genesis 5, 1 through 3, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. The principle of sin is because of the fall and passed down to us. Romans five twelve. wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin? And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So that sin nature, that disposition of sin was passed down. Other scriptures declare that all men have a sinful nature. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. What then? Are we better than they? No and no wise for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none that understandeth there is none that seeketh after god they are all gone out of the way they are together become unprofitable there is none that doeth good no not one this is depravity at its worst if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us that is if we say we have no nature of sin to sin, the two sin problems needs two provisions of grace to meet our need as people. So two different ways to deal with these two different problems of sin. For the acts of sin, the things that we've done, we need pardon or forgiveness, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus, Romans three twenty-five through 26. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now the nature uh, or the disposition of sin doesn't need forgiveness, it needs cleansing. Acts fifteen nine. put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith, not their actions, their hearts. And then in 1 Thessalonians five twenty three, 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us to distinguish the difference between these things. Dear reader, please keep on reading and studying in the scripture. Go through this again. Uh, You can go back to my podcast if you wanna listen to this and slow it down and take some notes and check out what I'm saying. See if it's there in the Bible. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance. Uh, gods.resistance at gmail.com so that we can connect and I can help you further along in your journey with God. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under attribution share Alike 4.0 international Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay slash 4.0 slash.